So if you're expecting a special, not going to happen. So, sorry. When, what's that? That's true. All right. When Pastor Lehman asked if I, is, this, is the volume right? Is it? Okay. Uh, they'll adjust it. When Pastor Lehman asked if I could speak, uh, I was working with the teaching staff for the 7th through ninth grade classes, and we were going through the doctrine of uh, dispensations. So I looked at my computer to see when I last spoke on that, and it was somewhere around 2012. It was, I think, it was a Wednesday night, and we went through our doctrinal statement. And so it seemed that it had been a while, and since it's fresh on my mind, we would take a look at that. Uh, for those that are familiar with it, let me see if I can find that thing. We have uh, Peter saying, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. So if you're familiar with them, uh, the review is good. These are basic doctrines, and everyone in the church should know what our doctrinal statement has and says and be in agreement with it. And so we'll put folks in remembrance. There are also a number of folks that are relatively new. I don't know where they came from. I don't know their background. And um, I know that uh, at least a few are not familiar with dispensations. So that's what we'll be looking at. So let's pause for a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for all that you've given, and we thank you for this opportunity to gather with those of like precious faith and to be able to hold in our hand the word of God. And we that have believed to have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit and our children of God and able now to comprehend spiritual truths. And we just pray you guide and direct with all that said that it be to your glory, be in keeping with your plans and purposes, and that it would be edifying to each one that Christ could be glorified. And if anyone's here that's not saved, they could get saved and place their faith in Christ to do so. Pray for our Sunday school program you undertake as we desire to reach the children with the gospel and to establish them in the word as well. And may this continue through this local church until you return, until Christ comes for us. So thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you want to open your... Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. It makes mentions, mention of that in, uh, this is a church age epistle, and it makes mention of dispensations. Uh, let's just read chapter 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the believers, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Uh, That's speaking of church-age believers. He did this according as he has chosen us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And so his plan uh, for what's going on and what he will accomplish uh, was established before. And that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. 
having predestinated, predetermined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And that would be to be born again sons of God. According to the good pleasure of his will, this is all his doing, to the praise of the glory of his grace, it's by his unmerited favor and love that's extended to us, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. This mystery is the church age. It was a mystery as a part of God's plan that wasn't revealed to men before, but is now revealed. And it is according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one All things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Um, In whom we also obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of his, uh, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And we trusted in Christ after, verse 13, we heard the word of truth, the gospel. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and we are, uh, which is that spirit of promise, verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance, uh, until we're safely delivered to heaven. So what it's bringing out is this idea of the dispensations that's established there. If you turn to chapter 3, he continues to talk about dispensation. In verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. So he names a specific dispensation here, which is given me to you, word, and this has to do with the church age. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, this hidden part of his plans, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in the ages which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs in the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto 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 me who am less then the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Christ Jesus to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known unto the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus. So we'll stop there. And we have a, uh, in that Ephesians passage, we have the idea of a dispensation of the fullness of times. And so when we look at scriptures, we're going to look at the idea that there are various dispensations. And the dispensations, uh, or a word comes from the Greek, uh, okonomia, and it is a dwelling, a home, a house, 
and it is rule of actions prescribed by reason, a law, or rule. Biblically speaking, the dispensation is a set of rules given by God producing a state approved of God for earthly living during a period of time. Now, uh, when you think about this, if we kind of back up a minute and take a look at from divine perspective, this would be a, a timeline, if you would, as we refer to time. And we would have here uh, what would be the time period of the earth as we know it. Uh, it would probably be a little bit smaller dot, but we put it big enough so that we could all see it. We have eternity past and eternity future. Uh, in the beginning was God, and God created the earth. So looking back from the time of the beginning of earth, God was eternal. We look at Genesis, it says that he created the heavens and the earth. And so when we frame the time frame of what's going on, what he's doing, we have the beginning. Revelations tells us, as we go from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, that, uh, a, I, and I saw a new heaven, new earth, for the first heaven, first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And so there's a time frame here contained in the Bible of God's plans and purposes. But what he is doing is creating an eternal kingdom. That would be the ultimate goal. He is going to go through this period of time as he deals with men and he's going to create an eternal kingdom wherein there will be populated by men who have free volition, who have acknowledged him as God, placed their faith in Christ, been born again, are children of God, and would be able to enjoy him forever. This time period on earth is like, I likened it to uh, when I was 24, I built a house for my family. I worked during the day, I came home and worked on the house site was a carpenter, so carpentry work wasn't that, uh, it was reasonably enjoyable, but working those extra hours and such wasn't something that, oh, I really like to do this. I was doing it to build a house so that when it was, construction was over, I would have this home for my family. Same idea with God. From perspective, he is building an eternal kingdom, and he is going through the process of that building. We have a in Timothy, then, we're to look at these dispensations. We're to study to uh, show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Now, we have a diagram up here of the seven dispensations. And so, as we look at the dispensations and we can isolate them or identify them and what's going on, what God's doing, it will help us to understand uh, where we fit in uh, what applies to us, what doesn't apply to us, and how to understand the Bible. Uh, why dispensations? This is, there's always, any illustration seems to come up short. But um, When we first had our first son, um, as an infant, you know what it's like that have had children. Um, he didn't really have any rules to go by. He ate when he wanted to eat, or he'd holler. Um, he slept when he wanted to sleep, and it was pretty hard to control that. He relieved himself when he wanted to relieve himself. And so he just operated like that. As he grew older, he got into his two, three, four, 
uh, things changed and there began to be some rules. There was limited rules. Uh, they could play outside, but the parameter in which they could play was always within the realms that we could see them. Uh, they couldn't go outside without permission. Everything was kind of closely watched. It was for their protection. As he grew up, uh, the parameters spread out. They were allowed to go into the woods to a certain degree, and there were still some parameters. As they got older, he got to be 16 and would have a, a license. Uh, rules changed. The house rules changed. He was given, given permission to use a car. Uh, he would tell us what he was going to do. He'd establish a time. Uh, he would have a curfew. He'd have a curfew, and if he broke the curfew, it was big trouble. And so there was rules that he had to follow. But it was, again, for his protection, guiding. We're moving him along onto maturity. Uh, when they graduated, things changed. The curfew was lifted. Courtesy was expected if they lived in the house to let us know what they were doing, when we could expect them so we didn't have to lay at night and worry about them. But things changed as there was a progression of understanding, growth, and maturity. In some sense, that's what dispensations are like. And you could say that uh, in the church age, we are given the greatest liberty and the greatest revelation of God and the greatest provisions than there was in times past. And so we operate under different house rules than they did in the past. Schaefer's comments on dispensations is, and this is a major Bible themes, is, in studying the seven dispensations, certain principles are essential to understanding its teachings. Dispensationalism is derived from the normal and literal interpretation of the Bible. It is impossible to interpret the Bible in its normal and literal sense without realizing that there are different ages and dispensations. The second principle is that of progressive revelation. That is the fact that revelation is given in stages. We have more information given to us and written in the Word of God than they did in times past. And so there is a change in that factor. Thirdly, all expositors of the Bible will need to recognize that the later or latter later revelation to some extent supersedes earlier revelation with resulting change in the rules of life in which earlier requirements may be changed as we see in a family situation. And they may be withdrawn and new requirements added. For instance, while God commanded Moses to kill a man for gathering sticks on the Sabbath, no one would apply this command today because we live in a different dispensation. And this becomes important as we look at and we read the Old Testament as they lived in a different dispensation. Uh, as the Jews were under the law, that is different house rules than what was established when the church began. And so we can't take and apply the things that are established in the church age and apply them to the church, I mean, to the Old Testament law. You can't take the law and apply it to the church age. They're uh, different. And there's reasons for that. Our doctrinal statement is uh, Article 14. There's 20 articles. You should be familiar with them. And if you have any questions, talk to Pastor Lehman. But uh, 
you should have an understanding of them. That's kind of how we have a collective understanding of this by this declaration. Here are verses. Here's what's taught in those verses. Here's what we believe about that. And then we have one mind, one accord in this local church. We believe that the dispensations are stewardships by which God administers his purpose on earth through men, man varying, with varying responsibilities. And we'll see, identify that as we go on. We believe that the changes in the dispensational dealings of God with man depend upon change conditions or situations in which man is successfully found with relation to God. And so with each dispensation that God introduces, there's opportunity for man under those conditions to be able to enjoy a right relationship with God in the practical sense and live unto God in, in the earthly realm. But that, and that these changes are the result of failures of man and judgments of God. As we go through, we'll see that God gave these dispensations, these rules, uh, and they kind of tested man. And we'll see that though there wasn't complete failure, that there was failure on the part of the majority and or God would have to make a correction as he was furthering his plans and purposes to accomplish this eternal kingdom and for the saving of souls. We believe that different administrative responsibilities of this character are manifest in the Bible, biblical record, and that they span the entire history of mankind, and that each ends in the failure of man under the respective test and in the ensuing judgment of God from God. We believe that three of these dispensations, and these are ones that are covered uh, the most in the Bible, uh, are subject to extended revelation. I guess that's in there. Uh, the dispensation of the Mosaic Law. We do not live under the Mosaic Law, but there was a dispensation of that prior to the cross. Uh, the dispensation of grace or church age, that is the dispensation we live in. And so we identify from the epistles the teachings related to us. We can look at the Old Testament. We can learn about God. We can learn about his character. We can learn about the failures of men, and there's tremendous uh, benefit. But the application of the instructions uh, that were given to them in law do not apply to us, uh, though there's principles of righteousness that continue to flow. And then the third one is the future dispensation of the millennial kingdom. And again, if we look at that picture that we had, we have in the beginning and then we have in the end in the revelations, we have the final uh, before the end of this world as we know it, we have that final dispensation of the kingdom. We believe that, there are, that these are distinct and are not intermingled or confused as they are chronologically successive. This is especially true of the law, of the church age or age of grace, and of the kingdom. They are not intermingled. And so we don't get our instructions from uh, as to tithing and such as that from the Old Testament. We are given free will offering. You pray about it. As the Lord leads you, you give out of a cheerful heart. You're not under a taxation of tithe. We believe that the dispensations are not ways of salvation or different methods of administering the so-called covenant of grace. They are not in themselves dependent on covenant relations, but are, all, are ways of life and responsibility to God which test the submission of man 
in his revealed will during a particular time. So the dispensations, the house rules and dispensations didn't, didn't establish a different way for man to get saved. Man always got saved by believing, recognizing his sinful nature or his problem with sin and that God would provide a redeemer, believing in God for that promise of redemption. We now can identify who the redeemer is. They couldn't, but they knew the promise. And so we know it to be Jesus Christ, and we know that he died on the cross. And as he died on the cross, God laid our sins on him. He bore our sins, the sinless Son of God, in the form of man, hung on the cross while God executed the just demand of death for sins which was against you on him. He saw the travail of his soul. He was satisfied. The value of Jesus' death on the cross in the sight of God was far greater than the offense of all men's sins. And so from a just point of view, this payment that Christ made satisfied the just demand of death for sin which was against us. Christ died, was buried, rose again the third day, Work was done. He said it was finished. He walked among men for 40 days, ascended into heaven. And on the basis of that, God is offering salvation to each one of us. We've all sinned. We're all guilty under sin. We were born in sin. We all needed to be saved. And the way of salvation is Christ. It's always been like that, but Old Testament believers didn't have the identification or the things that we know in terms of this revelation. We believe that if man does trust in his own efforts to gain favor of God or salvation under any dispensational test because of his inherent sin, his failure to satisfy fully the just requirements of God is inevitable and his condemnation is for sure. And so whatever dispensation it was, you didn't get to heaven by being good. You didn't get to heaven by obeying the house rules. We believe that according to the eternal purpose of God, salvation in the divine reckoning is always by grace through faith, and that faith always rests on the promise of the Redeemer, or as we see it now, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We believe that God has always been gracious, regardless of of the ruling dispensation. And so you look back at his treatment of Israel, and he was gracious to them. He did things, unmerited favor extended towards them, unmerited favor extended towards others. But they didn't operate under the grace provisions. They weren't indwelt by the Holy Spirit continually. There were some that the Spirit was given and performed certain responsibility and then leave. Uh, We're given the Holy Spirit. So they didn't operate like that. Uh, They are able to believe, trust God, walk by faith, and follow after or live in a way that's pleasing to God in keeping with whatever the rule, house rules were, just like your child would if they obeyed you. We believe that it has always been true that without faith it is impossible to please God and that the principle of faith was prevalent in the lives of Old Testament saints. However, we believe that it was historically impossible that they should have as their conscious object of their faith the incarnate, crucified, the Lamb of God. They knew a promised Redeemer was coming. Job wrote that. So I know my Redeemer lives. But if you asked him, was that Jesus? He would, he would never have known that. That wouldn't have been revealed. And so 
and uh, after First John 1.29, and that it is evident that they did not comprehend as we do the sacrifice depicted the person and work of Christ. Uh, we believe also that they did not understand the redemptive significance of the prophecies and types concerning the sufferings of Christ. Therefore, we believe that their faith toward God was manifested in other ways, as shown in the long record in Hebrews 11, 1 through 4. We believe further that their faith, thus manifested, was counted for them unto righteousness. Now, we look at the first dispensation, and we have the dispensation of innocence. If you want to turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1, or Genesis, we'll start there. And I know that... Um, What we have then is the beginning of creation, the beginning of the world. God created man. I think it's in 120. Uh, I got to turn there, sorry. I'll catch up with you. In 126. And the Lord said, us, said Let us, plural, make man in our own image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so man gave, God made man in his image, and he made male and female. Now, he made man with the living soul, a soul that would live forever, exist forever. The intent was that he would the created being would be able to have an ongoing right relationship with God. The living soul was made up of mentality we can think. Uh, God didn't make us robots. If he'd made us robots, there wouldn't be a real relationship that he'd have with us or we with him, and it wouldn't be uh, much of anything. And for an eternal kingdom of robots, that's not worth it. Or however, so he made man with free volition. He made a man with mentality, think, be able to think. He made him with volition, so that you could make decisions. You given a certain amount of autonomy. God is still sovereign, but you're given freedom of choice, deciding. You're given a self consciousness, and so you are aware of yourself, the surroundings, and there's an, a built-in awareness of God that there's a God. And so in Romans, it tells that those that suppress this truth, they're, they're without excuse. They, there is this built in, and people suppress that truth. And so, no, there's no God. This is all evolution and all this. They are suppressing uh, a, a God-given uh, understanding of God, that there is a God. And they're given a conscience and emotions. And so we're, we're living beings. And Adam was able to enjoy God. Um, his privilege was that he could have daily fellowship with God. As we think of a dispensation, he was a companion with him. Um, he had abundance of daily provisions. He had access to the tree of life. And he could just simply enjoy that relationship. Uh, the responsibility was that he was to be uh, fruitful and multiply. He was to take care or dress the garden. And so it was relatively 
uh, a simple house rules, if you would. The test of his respect or love and obedience to God uh, was God told him he was not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or he would die. Death is separation. The result of that would be, be a rebellious ad, act towards God and it would break fellowship with God. That spiritual relationship would end. At this point, Adam is neither righteous in terms of his, the spirit in him or unrighteous. It's kind of un, un, it's not established. And so he is, we're going to establish that. And so we find that Satan entered the scene. We have some temptations to Eve, but we find Adam uh, violating the house rules, if you were. And he ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge, and he died spiritually. He hid himself from God, and we have this separation. He became alienated, in a sense, from God. And so that God could no longer look at him as innocent. Uh, he was removed from the garden, and so he faced physical death. No more access to the tree of life, and he also would be uh, eternally separated from God unless God intervened. And so God promised, made a promise to send a redeemer. If you're still in Genesis, look at Genesis 3. This is after... um, After it's been revealed, and we have then him dealing with this. If you have a Schofield Bible, it's called the Second or Adamic Covenant. But verse 14, And the Lord said unto the serpent, that Satan, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shall thou go, and dust shall thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee, Satan, and the woman, and between the seed, thy seed and her seed, uh, her seed indicates is is uh, prophetic in the sense that it would be divine birth, pointing to Jesus, the birth as we see, born of a virgin. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shall bruise his heel, and so there would be a suffering on the part of the Son of God, the the, the Satan bruiser, but there would be a, a knockout punch, if you would, for Satan, and that will come, and so he promised a redeemer. They were removed from the garden, and so we have then, uh, but we have this, this line that I drew here, is that from this point, if we put this as uh, back to um, Revelations here, uh, 20, or the end of the world as we know it, there is this, we have evil that coexists with good. We have a spiritual battle for the souls of men. We still have uh, the eternal kingdom in view in God's plans and purposes. And through this period of time now, uh, there is this ongoing spiritual battle for the souls of men and glory of God and the ultimate uh, uh, end result of this kingdom. And so all of this is the next set of dispensations, and this one ends right here with the kingdom, and we'll get into this one here. And so that's what's going on. We could say that right here, uh, this is approximately 4,004 B.C. is what the... 4,004 B.C. 
And so we're moving on. Uh, the next dispensation after he was removed, they were moved from the garden, is that they were to recognize their need of a Savior and the promise of the Redeemer. And they were to live unto God according to good conscience. They had a consciousness of good and evil now, and they had an awareness of God, and so they were to live in light of that. Uh, there was some problems, and we have even with Cain and Abel, uh, there was a point in time when they came to uh, give an offering, and you say, well, how did they know about that? Well, there's things that they knew that were told or talked about that aren't recorded in this little portion of the Bible. And so it says in... Uh, Chapter 4, verse 3, and in the process, chapter 4, Genesis 3, in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit uh, of the ground and offering unto the Lord, and Abel also brought the firstlings of his flock and the uh, fat there, and the, the Lord had respect to Abel. Now, Abel's offering represented or showed forth the need for redemption, a blood sacrifice. It pictures Christ. And so it signifies Abel had this belief. Uh, Cain offered the fruit of his labors, and so he offered what uh, from his goodness, from his abilities. And so it pictures religion as people try to uh, um, develop and create a right relationship with God on the basis of what they do. And so we have the two views there, and so uh, eventually, as we can't go through it all, but um, Cain maintained his rebellion against God and the idea of that uh, his, his self-sufficiency, or however you want to put it, he killed Abel. And we have uh, under the conscience, and we have problem, the problem with the, the sin. Um, he goes out and promotes that mentality, and we feel, see later that there was a guy named. Uh, Lamech, as he traveled on, uh, that had two wives, and he brags about killing a guy. And so the conscience there is, there's a problem. God replaced Abel with Seth. And it's interesting, if you look at chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, we'll look at verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, she said, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Now catch that last. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. No, we don't have a lot of information here, but there's the idea that the call upon, Merriman did a study and presented it from the, the, uh, in Hebrew, and it was to rest upon, rely upon. And so uh, in the line of Seth, there were those that began to rest upon, rely upon the name, the name, of, or the, uh, the, the name of the Lord, which gives indication is that they were aware of their consciousness of sin. They were aware of the promise of God. And so uh, there was a faith concept. Time goes on. We have Enoch walking with God. Uh, Enoch, in, in, I think in Jude, uh, prophesied about the Lord coming and judging the unrighteous. Uh, Enoch was translated. And Mr. Lehman went through the Hall of Fame of Faith a little bit on Wednesday. And Enos was take, Enoch was t- taken. He named his son Methuselah. Methuselah lived 969 years. And 
it's said, I've heard this a number of times from people teaching on this, that the name means uh, when I die, judgment comes. And so judgment was coming. Men did evil in the sight of God in chapter 6, verse 5. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And so as time went on, and there's hundreds of years, uh, men gradually moved away from God. Believers married unbelievers, and the tendency was to move away from God. And so we have uh, men moving in the wrong direction, and they're doing evil continually. And so under the dispensation of conscience, man failed. And we then have God dealing with this. And he's going to, keep in mind, he's going to build this eternal kingdom. And so he starts, uh, so he brings a judgment upon them and preserves mankind. Now, in this age of conscience, if you think about it, there is no human government, per se. There's no law. You can't call 911. You can't do anything like that. And men grew powerful. They lived a long time, and some grew powerful. And uh, they were, it would seem to be a, a kind of feudal society. And so there was all kinds of problems that way. And God, uh, Noah found grace in the sight of God as God was going to judge this, and we know the story then of the flood. And so the flood occurs, Noah gets on with his wife and three sons, three daughters, and uh, the filth of the flesh is done away with, as Peter writes about it, uh, by way of the water flood. And we then have this dispensation of human government, if we go further. Now, human government, if you go to chapter 9, where do we get the idea of human government? So, after the flood uh, waters uh, subside or whatever you'd say. And Noah built the ark and God instruction, instructs him. Said there would never rain. Uh, he never judged the world as such by this. Uh, verse 22, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. So you can take that one to the bank if you're uh, worried about climate change. Um, But verse 9, chapter 9, we have then this instruction. Uh, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish or fill the earth. Uh, Spread out, fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. In your hand are they delivered. Uh, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Things have changed now. Uh, prior to this, or they didn't appear to that they would eat meat. Uh, even as a green herb have I given you all things. But flesh of life thereof, which is the blood thereof, you shall not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he him. And that wasn't true. When we think of that Lamech who killed a man, he says, you know, Cain killed Abel and he's still running around. I'm just fine and dandy. But things changed. And so we have uh, human government. It became the responsibility given to man 
as we think of society, to execute uh, punishment on evildoers, those of overt evil, uh, capital punishments established here. So in this dispensation, we have uh, carryover, if you would. Uh, they were to recognize their need of Savior, uh, believe in the promise of the Redeemer that God had made. They were to live unto God according to good conscience. And they were now given collective responsibility of society to uh, stop that kind of spread of evil. Uh, we would execute judgment on overt sin. Uh, you, can you can kind of imagine when you don't have that kind of thing, when we have troubles or floods in certain areas and the police force are out of business, uh, how crazy people go. And so uh, human government, it's talked about in Romans, that it's power given by God to deal and execute uh, this kind of restraint because he doesn't want to allow or will not allow the same kind of thing that took place in the end of Noah's days uh, where they did evil whatever they wanted uh, to continue doesn't further his plan and so human government comes along we find then they were to go out and scatter it was pretty uh, replenish the earth and they gathered together and they begin to seek to establish themselves and to separate themselves from God now this wouldn't be true of all and they wanted to build this tower unto God, Tower of Babel. And they would go into, build it up into the heavens, and they would be able to be as God or have their own. And so God would not judge the world by flood again. And so he, sent, he, just, he scattered them by changing the languages. And so mankind then was scattered to, there is a failure here, and mankind scattered. And the truth of the truths that were there scattered with to some extent, but we have them moving all over the earth. We then have God wanting to advance. He's going to advance his plans and purposes, and he promised to send a redeemer. And so we get to the next dispensation, and this is the dispensation of promise. Now, we have people being scattered now, language barriers. And God wants to continue this, uh, his plan as we think of the building the kingdom and revelation. And so he makes a promise to Abraham. If you want to turn to chapter 12, we have um, We have the promises set forth. Number, uh, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. Now he said it earlier, but now he's telling him again. Unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all, the fa all families of the earth be blessed. Uh, let's jump now to chapter 17. So Abraham goes out, he follows, he responds by faith. 
And we have then this covenant of promise that God makes with him in which he reveals that the promised redeemer, redeemer would come, the, the seed of the woman would come through the lineage of Abraham. And that Abraham's blessing would be, he would be the father of a great nation. And there is view to this eternal kingdom that's set forth uh, as the Old Testament believers. Blessed hope was resurrection unto an eternal kingdom on earth. And so we read in chapter 17, um, Abraham is wondering, um, well, about, yeah, he, he, his children and such. But we go, uh, the Abrahamic, uh, um, all right, verse 1. And when Abraham was 99 years old and nine, 90 years old and nine the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make a covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be Abram, but thou shalt be called Abraham. For the father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come of, out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger all of the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And so we have this promise made God. If you can drop back to chapter 15, this covenant that God makes with Israel, his covenant of promise, what he's going to do, is established there. And here's where I was thinking about him not having any children. So he's old, he's promised to be a father of many nations, and he hasn't had any children, and so there's this conversation about that. And so um, he sets forth this covenant again, and he explains what he's going to do, but it's interesting as we look at it. Uh, so the, the idea is, and I don't take all the time, it's interesting. Um, he, he had Abram cut these animals in half and there's a trough in the middle blood's flowing through there and it was some form of uh, Old Testament contract where the two people would walk through uh, making a commitment that if they didn't fulfill uh, their responsibilities then that's what should happen to them uh, when God explains what's going on uh, Abraham falls asleep and God goes through and so the, it's a one-sided covenant he'll take care of it. it's a covenant of promise on his part but um, what I wanted to show you is uh, verse 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve I will judge. And so there's, when God does these things, he's, there's more than one purpose behind it. So he's allowing this nation of iniquity to be filled, and then he's going to also use this time to develop the nation and bring them out. Um, at verse 14, And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. And thou shalt go 
uh, to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generations, fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And so we have this revelation as we think of what God is doing. Now, Abraham understood the idea of the Redeemer Savior. He understood the idea of uh, an eternal kingdom. So when he responded to God, he's responding to God in light of this glorious future. And so God says, go live in this area. You're going to be a stranger in this land. I'm promising you in this land. You're going to be a great nation. And this will become a kingdom for your people. And so he understood these things. Uh, Mr. Lehman was going through. Let's just flip back to uh, Revelations. No, 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 no. Hebrews. Hebrews 11. That must come when old age you start talking and you say something and you know that's not what you're supposed to say. And I will soon be three score and ten. Which means I'm in that last phase according to Psalms. Three score and ten and four score by reason of strength and then we're gone. So this thing went out. All right, lost my light. Can't see. Uh, Hebrews 11. All right, you're talking about faith. And let's just pick it up in verse 4 because we mentioned it. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And we know that that was a picture, and, and, and I'll apply it. You can argue that there was an understanding of the need for redemption, which would require blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no uh, remission of sins. And so this idea isn't... isn't uh, it has been communicated. It's hard to find exactly where we would. We look at Job. Uh, he did the same thing, and Job was probably a contemporary of Abraham, but not uh, not a Jew. And so he, he offered sacrifices. There's that uh, Satan and God talking about him, and uh, a perfect, upright man, skeweth evil and do good. And then we know that as he goes on, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. I'll stand upon the earth and see him, if, even if I, uh, worms destroy this body. So anyway, um, Abel. He, he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and, that he had, and, that, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Uh, Enoch, I mentioned. By faith, Enoch was translated, he should not see death, and was found because God had translated him before the translation before his translation, he had a testimony that he pleased God. And you can look, I think it's in Jude, uh, or, or I'm not sure, is it Jude? Where he talks about Enoch uh, prophesies that the Lord is coming with 10,000 saints. And so there's uh, that projection of a knowledge of things that are coming. This, this, uh, the, um, the eschatology, eschatology or, the, or the future. Uh, what they knew is hard to, understand, hard to put a finger on, but sometimes I think we think they knew less than they actually did. All right, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. 
He trusted God. He responded. By faith, Abraham, and this is where we're looking, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He is looking for something that God was going to provide for him, and it wasn't being provided in the time frame of his life. Even as we look at, he says, you know, your generations are going to spend 400 years uh, in bondage in Egypt, is basically. And so he walked by faith. Um, Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, that they seek a country. Um, you, let's just jump now. You could go on in well, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff, uh, all anticipating the blessed promise set before them, resurrection, eternal kingdom to come. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Take my bones out of Egypt, bring it to the promised land. And the idea with a bodily resurrection, I will stand in the promised land uh, when that occurs. Now, let's jump to verse 40 of 39. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. The promises made, the Abrahamic promises, hadn't been fulfilled in the days that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob lived. But they will be fulfilled, and they are fully confident. They were fully confident that it would. But they didn't receive it yet. Verse 40, God having promised some better things for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. God's plan will come to fulfillment at the right time, and he will bring all these things to fulfillment as we think of the dispensations, passing of dispensations, and even as we looked at Ephesians, where he will gather together all in heaven uh, and on earth in one in Christ. So we have the promises given. Next we have the law. So they, so it, it, Jacob and his sons eventually get down to Egypt. They go to Egypt. There's a, a famine and such. And God said that, told Abraham, this is going to happen. They were there for some 400 years. They multiplied. The nation grew. And persecution began in Egypt. And so it came time that God would raise up uh, a deliverer, Moses. And he delivered them out of Egypt, out of bondage. And they came out, as he said, with great substance. And he uh, passed judgment, or judgments fell upon Egypt, and they suffered in many ways. And as he took them out, now we're two million strong. And so they were, as we think of Abraham, was to simply... uh, represent God on earth, trust him, and and be led of him, and essentially stay in the promised land. But now we have something's changed. We have two, five million people, whatever, varying uh, uh, ideas as to how many come out. 
And now God is going to, they have to live in the realm of time on earth. And so God establishes, adds an addenda to the promise. The promise didn't change. Abraham's uh, and Israel will become a great nation. But there's a, a, they are not in the position yet of having been given the Holy Spirit and the divine provisions. And so he is going to direct them to the furtherance of this fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah and the preservation of this nation. And so he sets down laws. And Moses comes down with the laws. And you think of the law, you say, hey, for the nation, how is this nation going to function on earth? This nation is supposed to be a nation that is to glorify God and serve him. And how are they going to do that if they're just operating by promise or their conscience? So he establishes laws. And there are moral laws, Ten Commandments. There are ceremonial laws. And there are civil laws. And it's going to govern the people. And so it's a theocracy. And so this nation is going to run under a theocracy until the Messiah comes. And it serves to establish truths. He set forth the, the laws, and it, and it shows sin. But we have ceremonial laws, or ceremonial aspects, and we have offerings, and we have the, the continued setting before them that there is redemption through the blood, the Lamb of God pointing to Christ. Uh, there are restrictions, just like there were with my children. Um, it's interesting in... in Oh, there it went back on. Cool. Um, let me see here. I'll, well, I don't want to go back. In Exodus, after, after Moses had gone up and we have this giving of the law and there was smoke and fire and, and darkness and thunder and great uh, scary stuff, that uh, this is what was written about that. This is the giving of the law. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And it is scary. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou uh, with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, test you, and that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. So as we think of a house rule, one of the things about this law was that they wouldn't sin. If you go to Galatians chapter 7, and keep in mind now, they didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. But God laid down a way in which they could live unto God under these conditions that would be satisfying to them. But it had cursings and bless, uh, blessings and cursings. Now if you go to chapter Galatians chapter 3, We pick it up in verse. All right. Well, verse 13, maybe. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, this is Galatians 3.13. 
Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ, the promise of the Messiah and spirit of life and all that's associated with that we might receive this promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, to thy seed, which is Christ. Now, that's the covenant promise. And this I say, that the covenant of promise that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. So the promise is still there. The promise that God made concerning Abraham and the great nation will, will come. But during this period, he has put them under a law to restrain them. Verse 18, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more promise, but God giveth to Abraham by promise. The inheritance is coming by the promise, not by the law. So you don't, you don't get a right relationship by the laws to be acceptable to God. You, you believe in the promised Redeemer, and then you lived in keeping with the law, which also had provisions for sin. Verse 19, Wherefore then serveth the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions. Well, there was problems. And it was added till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Until Christ came. So how long does the law last? Until Christ comes. Christ came. Are we under the law? No. All right. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of the mediator. Now the mediator is not a mediator of one, but, of, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law, and it would have been foolish for Christ to have died for our sins, because we should be able to accomplish that, but we couldn't. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Christ, Jesus Christ, might be given to them that believe. So if we believe in Jesus Christ, we will have salvation from the penalty of sin. It's not by works of righteousness. We had done according to his mercy, he saves us. But before faith came, before Christ came, they're under the law. They were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us on to Christ. The law was a schoolmaster. Now the schoolmaster here was like uh, uh, um, the rich people have slaves or servants, and the servants would then take their children two different things to school or whatever. And that while they took them, they would guide and direct them so they didn't get into trouble. They would protect them from doing things stupid and prevent them from doing it. And so there was a safeguard. You could say there's a goad them. And so they were goading them along so that they would get to where they're supposed to get without blowing it. Or you could have it in, 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 in that there was a somewhat of a, a restraint uh, you see the imagery of a carnival where you have a, uh, the old carnivals and they had those boxcars with cages on and they brought these animals, whatever. It's a, it's a restraint. He was going to restrain the people to preserve the people to bring to fulfillment his promise of the Redeemer which ultimately bring to the fulfillment of his promise of an earthly kingdom and e eternal kingdom. And so he is restricting them. And it exposes sin. 
in our need of salvation. And we have in the, in the ceremonial, uh, we have uh, the ideas of the temple and the sacrifices that were for sin. We have the idea of a priest that was a mediator between God and man. They were human priests, but this all, according to Hebrews, were shadows or picture types of the reality of Christ and our relationship with God through Christ. So it was using this nation to reveal more about God, but it was a shadow. It wasn't the reality. And so we have them move on. And we have this law set forth. Oops. Oh, I did it again. What did I do? Oh, there it is. Sorry. So we did that. So we have the law. Now the law was an addenda. And it didn't stop the promise of God. It was just for a period of time. It was never given to you. It was never given to me. It was given to the Jews at that time period under this dispensation house rules as God was furthering his plan along. And so when you read about the Old Testament and the things, the requirements, and what you can eat and you can't eat, had nothing to do with you. Had to do with them. As he tried to make them become or sought to make them become a nation that glorified God. There was some serious failures. But not with all. There were those who, who functioned well in this dispensation or house rules. But the majority didn't. And we find then as we come to the time of Christ and the kingdom is at hand that Israel as a whole, under the leadership that they had, rejected Jesus Christ. Now, this wasn't something God didn't know would happen. And so he sends his son, Matthew, directed to telling about the king. He talks about what the kingdom would be like and the rules of the kingdom. But they reject Christ and he is crucified. And this is fulfillment of the, uh, uh, back to the promise in Genesis where her seed, the virgin birth, would be bruised. And he died for our sins, as I mentioned before, so that you could be saved, so that you could be part of his eternal kingdom, that you, by your own free volition, could respond to God. You didn't, by your own free volition, become a sinner, but you can, by your own free volition, become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the corresponding results are, Thou shalt be saved. He that believeth on him has Life, he that believeth not shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Your choice. And God is, no one is going to be in heaven who didn't choose. God is God and Christ is their Savior, or the promised Redeemer, if you want to put it that way. And so Christ dies on the cross, is buried, rose again, walked among men for 40 days, ascended into heaven, and on Pentecost he sent the Holy Spirit. And he introduces this mystery that we started out with, this mystery of the church, the mystery of this dispensation of grace that was before hidden. Israel didn't know anything about this. Old Testament, didn't, Old Testament prophets didn't know. This was a hidden mystery that God was going to, at this time, call out to all men, Jew and Gentile, and create a new kind of people, a heavenly nation, a bride for his son, which has implications and ramifications in the kingdom to come on earth, the millennial kingdom, and eternity. 
that's what he's doing. He is using the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message that we share with the law, that they can get saved, that by their own free volition they can believe in him, they can receive forgiveness of sins based on the work of Christ and the gift of eternal life and become this unique people, children of God, bride of Christ, a heavenly nation that will rule and reign with him in eternity. This period of time, we look at this again, we have back in creation, 404 B.C., uh, somewhere around 16, 1700, the flood, around 2000, the uh, B.C., Abraham called. We have about not quite 2,000 years ago, uh, the death of Christ and the beginning of the church. And he has this timetable, which we looked at that little tiny ball, this timetable of what he's doing. And we are in a dispensation of grace. We are not under law by way of those written laws and the blessings and cursings that are associated with them. We are under a, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We are to walk by faith. We that have believed, walk by faith, trust him, recognize that without him we can do nothing, that the Holy Spirit is given to us to enable us to live a godly life, to be partakers of the divine nature, and to live in this time period, three score and ten, four score, raptures on its way, however long it is, and serve him with eternal ramifications. That's what's going on from the divine perspective. Now, I get bogged down because I look at things from an earthly perspective. But that's what's going on, and that's where we need to have our mind. And so the church continues until the rapture occurs. The next event on the, on the calendar of events is the Blessed Hope, Article 17 in our doctrinal statement. We believe that according to the Word of God, the next great event in the fulfillment of prophecy will be the coming of the Lord in the air to receive him himself in heaven both his own which are alive and remain unto his coming and also who have fallen asleep physically died in Jesus in this church age and that this event is a blessed hope set before us in the scripture and for this we should be constantly looking that's what's coming next folks and we have this period of time to serve God in uh, Mike's message he went to Hebrews, where we're to lay aside every weight and sin that does beset us and let us run the race with patience set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. Living in light of the reality of time is short and eternity is long and God's goal is this eternal kingdom. After the rapture occurs, uh, I'm running out of time, there will be a Things will be going taking place in heaven because the church age believers will be gathered together with Christ. And on earth, there will be a seven-year tribulation. This is spoken of in Daniel. Daniel talks about the 70th week of Daniel. Uh, and it talks about this period. Uh, it's talked about in Matthew and when God talked, when Jesus talks about the kingdom and that which, it, which is going to take place. Then after that seven years, Christ will return Satan will be bound, and Christ will reclaim the earth and establish his kingdom, and we that are children of God, believers, as church-age believers, will be taking part in ruling and reigning with him. A thousand years of righteousness will reign. 
And during this final dispensation, house rules change. They will not be what they are now. Uh, it will be a ruling with a rod of iron. And righteousness will prevail. And you won't get away with stealing. And Satan won't be there as a negative influence. The negative influence will come within men, as we think of those that are born into that time that need to be saved. And there'll be a final allowing of the demonstration of that rebellious attitude at the end of the thousand years when Satan is released and he will, uh, there will be this rebellion and it will end in, in a... It's, it won't last. And then it will be the end as we think of the, Romans, uh, the Revelations 20. This world as we know it will come to an end and new heavens and new earth will be made. There will be the end of evil... All that has Satan and all the fallen angels and all the unbelievers will be cast into the lake of fire forever, separated from God. And we that have believed throughout the dispensations will be gathered together, those in heaven, those on earth, as we think of according to his plan, this kingdom. So that's what's happening. It's a broad picture. Now, I could have said a lot more. I could have, probably should have said more. should have said last time always. And so could have chose it a little different. But this is what's going on. Isaiah says this, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. He's done that in scriptures and he's clarified even as we think of these dispensations. I make known the end from the beginning from ancient times what what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand. He will have that eternal kingdom. He will be glorified. Christ will be glorified, and it will be populated with those that believe. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. When we study dispensations in Sunday school, it's four quarters. So you can go into tremendous detail. So you got not as good. All right, let's pause for prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for all that you've given and just pray that we could allow this to sink in so that as we go about our daily lives, we would be in tune with what you have planned and purposed in time and eternity and how we can be used for your glory. We pray that we would be sensitive to the need to promote the gospel, that souls could be saved to glorify you and to minister to each the other as children of God so that we could be encouraged and we could fight the good fight of faith working together. And to this all, that Christ could be glorified as we look forward to the coming of Christ and to the glorious future. So may we redeem the time. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.